So in the sermon, I mentioned that um, the whole idea of James and John calling down fire from heaven on the Samaritan village that wouldn't um, make room for Jesus because he had set his face toward Jerusalem. Uh, I had mentioned that I would tell you a story or, or, tell, or, or sort of a supplement to the sermon, and this is it. So one of the things is we, at best, at the very best, we know a lot about probably not a lot even. <laughs> we know some things about Christian history, but the um, the other side of that is is that we, we pretty much know nothing about Jewish history. We're not, we're not taught anything. If we go to seminary, we don't learn anything about Jewish history. It's just not even part of our worldview. It doesn't, it's, it's almost inconsequential um, the way that it's treated. And, and so today, what I want to do is, is from time to time, I want to share some things because I spend a lot of time looking at Jewish history, listening to Jewish teaching, reading Jewish teaching, things like that. And I do so for one simple reason and one simple reason only, and that is to, to say that, that I want to know what it was the people that heard Jesus teach, who saw him, what their worldview was, how they understood things, how they understood the Bible itself. And so how did they place Jesus within that? How did they evaluate Jesus's teachings? Where did they come from? Because when he taught, he was teaching always only to Jews. He says, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel. That's who I've come to see. So so I, I want to get into the heads of those people as best I can and, and say, okay, what is it that they believed? And, and where did his teaching kind of um, differ from what they believed? Or, or where did he use... Um, techniques, let's say, that they would have been very, very familiar with, that would be, but that would be unfamiliar to us and that we wouldn't see necessarily when we saw that when we, when we read the Bible. So uh, this is one of those things, right? So this has to do with this idea of calling down fire from heaven on, on a Samaritan village because it failed to be hospitable towards the people. And so I, I remembered a couple of stories at that time that I wanted to, to delve into just a little bit, not a lot. This is not going to be, you know, a really long podcast. But but at any rate, the other side of it is the, the passage that I want to use is from Matthew 7, 1. Uh, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Okay, so so that's the passage that I want to talk about, because, you know, frequently people um, will say we shouldn't judge. Well, that that's not what that passage has to do with. That is not what the passage has to do with at all. What, what, what it has to do with is, is that, that we should be careful in the way that we judge others. We, we should judge ourselves first and then judge others. That's exactly what that has to do with it, because it says, when, why do you see the speck in your, uh, in your brother's eye, but not the, notice the log that's in your own eye? And he goes on to say, take care of the log first, and then you can help your brother with the speck. So it, it's a matter of being careful, because we tend to do the other thing, right? It's a whole lot easier to judge somebody else than it is to look at myself honestly and, and deal with the sin in my own life. And so the two stories that I want to tell here have a lot to do with those things. And th- these two are related stories. I want to talk about um, two people, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Simon Bar Yohai. So his, that means Bar Yohai means his father's name was Yohai. <laughs> so uh, Rabbi Akiva was one of the greatest uh, rabbis of his age, one of the great sages of all time. In fact, on Yom Kippur in the evening prayer uh, it, there's a recital of the ten rabbinic leaders that were martyred by the Romans at the time of Jesus. He was born in about 20 A.D., lived to, for about 90 years before the Romans put him to death. Uh, so they they recite this um, 
10 rabbinic leaders that were martyred by the Romans. It's also recited again on another day, which I'll talk about some other time, give you more details about it, called Tisha B'Av. And Tisha B'Av is the day that the temple fell both times. It's, it's, there's all kinds of horrible things in Jewish history that happened on Tisha B'Av. And so in both times, they recite those names. Uh, and, and Rabbi Akiva is one of those. He, was, he is one of the greatest sages of all times. In fact, in the Talmud, one of the principles is that if Rabbi Akiva uh, disagrees with somebody, then you go with Rabbi Akiva. If, he agree, if, if a group of people disagree with him, then you can go with them. But he, he's considered that great that on a one-on-one basis, he's the one you always go with whenever there's any kind of uh, difference. So what's interesting is, is that on Tisha B'Av, it's a day of mourning. It's a day of sadness. But Yom Kippur is, is a happy day because it, it's, the, it's the day that, that everything, that the judgments have been averted at some level because it's the day that, that the goat was sent out into the wilderness and all that. And so it, the, the, the recitation on that day is meant to atone for and inspire. The sages taught that the death of the righteous actually atones. It provided atonement. So, so a death of a righteous person was was intended to provide some atonement. That's where sort of in the Catholic world you end up with this idea about the, the treasury of the merits of the saints that are accumulated, and then those can be applied to your account as though somehow or another Jesus' atoning sacrifice weren't enough, right? So, and, and that's wrong. So anyway, but the death of a righteous person atones. Now, when they say a righteous person, they don't mean a perfectly righteous person like Jesus. That's not even uh, something that you would contemplate, frankly, that somebody could live a perfectly righteous life. So, so righteous is something less than that. But for instance, Noah was righteous in his day which means that compared to everybody else, he was considered righteous. So that, that's kind of how righteousness looks. And so it, it's not the death that atones, really. It's the inspiration that comes from the person's life. Um, so it, it's, it's important to think about it that way and to understand Jewish thought in that way that righteous doesn't mean perfect. Righteous just means comparatively righteous. Somebody who really pursued righteousness with all their heart kind of is a better way to say it. So there's this period of time that, that, that Rabbi Akiva, um, the, the situation is that Rabbi Akiva was ta- uh, taught, uh, he, he, he was raised very poor. He didn't even learn to read and write until he was 40 years old. And then he went to like a kid's school to learn the alphabet and all this other stuff. So then he becomes this great teacher, and he ends up with 24,000 students. He has 12,000 pairs of students, and they all died in one day. And the Gemara, which is a part of the Talmud, uh, tells us that, that they didn't have respect for one another was what happened. So God took them because they didn't respect one another. They disagreed disagreeably if that makes sense, to say that, you know, we can't agree to disagree. No, we have to look down and sneer at the other person. So they're judging the other person in spite of the fact that other person is, is pursuing righteousness and they're pursuing truth. They're being judged because there's a disagreement, but disagreement is not wrong. So it, it's it, when they're disagreeing over fine points of the law and the application of those fine points of the law, then that's expected in Judaism, frankly. And so the, there's, a, there's a reason why that would be. But, but what had been taught was they become haughty and prideful, and they didn't respect one another in these things. And so you've got division between them. And so then the Gemara tells us that, that the reason was they were struck down by a mysterious plague, and it's odd. They say it's either croup or diphtheria, and they say it's one of the worst possible ways to die. That's, this is from the Gemara, which is in the Talmud. Um, and, the, and so both those can be 
merged with one another. They, they, were, they died because of their lack of respect for one another, and they died in this horrible way because of that. And so again, to go back to judge not, let that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So there's no respect for these 24,000 students, and, and supposedly they all die on the same day. And so during the period between Passover and um, and Pentecost, those 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, th- there's a commandment. They're there to count the Omer, and an Omer is like a sheaf of wheat. You can get apps to count the Omer to make sure that you do it every day because it's an important commandment in Judaism that you count the Omer. So you can get apps that remind you to do it. There's all this stuff. They make a big deal out of it. But in the first, you would think those would be days of anticipation for the barley harvest. And so you would think there would be sort of an excitement in the air over counting the Omer. But, but (laughs) during those first 33 days, they're not supposed to get married. They're not supposed to cut their beards. They're not supposed to shave their heads. There's not supposed to be any joy. It's a period of mourning. And it's because of this, the death of the 24,000 students is one of the main reasons given for that. So that, that's an odd period of time, those, those first 33 days. So we're then a week prior to the Ascension, for instance, and then 17 days before Pentecost. So then after those days of mourning, then you can begin to, to do these things. That, that last day celebrates one of Rabbi Akiva's students. So he lost 24,000 students all in one day. And then in spite of that, he takes five more. And so he begins to rebuild with these five. And one of those five was this one called Rabbi Shimon Bar Yohai. And Shimon Bar Yohai became the greatest teacher of his age. And so he, he then becomes, he died on the day, the 33rd day, which is called Lagba Omer, in their uh, calendar and their reckoning. And so that's the final day. And then from the, of the 33 days of mourning, and then you can begin to do these things. So he, he sets the, the final day of the mourning, and then you can become um, joyful again, and you can do things other than mourn. And so the, the, what was considered was is that during the period of time after the death of the 24,000 prior to the five, that, that, that the world was desolate of Torah teaching because he was such a great teacher. Rabbi Akiva's favorite principle was love your fellow as yourself. Huh. That was kind of Jesus's favorite principle too. <laughs> it, it was kind of Paul's favorite principle as well. And so uh, he, the great thing about Rabbi Akiva was is that when he looked back on his life, he had all these difficulties, right? Like I said, he was a poor guy growing up. He married a rich a, a, a woman whose father was very wealthy, but he disowned her because of that. They lived a very poor life. He went through a lot of pain and suffering and all this kind of stuff, studied Torah for 24 years by himself, and then started in that period of time, started raising up others, and then is ultimately put to death because he ordained these five guys, and the Romans put him to death for it because he was teaching Torah and they were no longer supposed to teach Torah. So he, but when he looked back on his life, he saw good, God's goodness in everything that had happened in his life. And he came to the one conclusion, whatever God does is for the good. So whatever happens, you have to look at it as good because God's in charge and God allowed it. And, you know, kind of after Will died, one of the things that, that uh, I told Suzanne was, this is the way I'm trying to think through this, is to say God is good, Right. He only gives good, gives good gifts to his children, right? Right. We are his children, right? Right. This must be good. I don't know how, and I won't know how until much later, until, until I'm there, and I can ask, show me how this is good. So, but Rabbi Akiva was absolutely convinced 
that it was good. He was, he was tried for his crime, and then he was found guilty of teaching Torah publicly, and they tortured him to death, and they flayed off his skin with iron combs. I mean, this is legit history, that is. And so while he was dying, he, he spent his final moments reciting the Shema, our Lord our God is one. His students asked him, our teacher, this far? He answered, the Shema teaches us to love God with all our souls, which I understood to mean even if they're taking your soul from you. My entire life I agonized over this verse. Would I really love God even if my soul were being taken? I at last have the opportunity to demonstrate this. How could I not do so now? And as the rabbi recited, the Lord is one, his soul left him. So that's Rabbi Akiva. Right, and and those are those are legitimate things that I just read for you. That's a legitimate part of history, what his attitude towards everything, and it sounds very, very much like Jesus on the cross. It sounds very much like Stephen. It sounds very much like the disciples. It sounds very much like we ought to sound, in fact. And we have a, a better gospel than he does. We know more about God than Rabbi Akiva does because we know about Jesus. We know about the depth of the love of God for humankind. And so that's, that's kind of the setting for Rabbi Akiva. He raises up five disciples after the 24,000 are gone. And one of those is this guy, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yohai. And so Shimon Bar Yohai, as I said, dies on the 33rd day of, of counting the Omer. So seven days prior to Ascension, 17 days before Pentecost. And so there's this odd thing that happens about that. But, but who is this guy? And what is it? And now here comes Jewish lore. And I want you to just hear this because these are are fascinating stories. And so what happens is, is, is that, that he then begins to teach Torah as well. And in a dispute that he was having with somebody else, he criticizes the Romans. Word gets to the Romans, and now there's an edict that he and his son are going to be killed because of their criticism of the Romans during this period of time. So what happened was is that they fled, he and his son did, and they fled, and they went and hid in a cave during this period of time. And during this 12 years that they're there, which is, remember that, that I said that Rabbi Akiva had 24 years of study, so Rabbi Shimon Bar Yohai and his son Elazar study in a cave for 12 years by themselves, and, and because they're hiding. And so they're hiding in this cave, and, and so God made a stream to flow right outside the cave and a carob tree to grow inside the cave. So they had everything that they kind of needed, not everything they wanted, and they studied Torah for years, and, and the way they made sure that their clothes didn't wear out is they take them off during the day, they bear themselves up to the neck in the sand and study like that the entire day, except briefly when they would emerge to pray. I mean, this is bizarre stories. And so the this, this story goes, after 12 years, Elijah the prophet came and stood at the entrance to the cave saying, who will tell bar that Caesar has died and his decrees have been annulled? And so they hear this and they think, oh, okay, so now that's the word, that's the sign that we can now come out of the cave and, and go on with life. And so they come out and when they come out, they see these Jews working and doing farming work and plowing the fields and planting and all that, and they were just disgusted because they devoted themselves to the study of Torah for all this time, and, and, and now they come out and they see these Jews who are essentially, in their minds, wasting their time by, by doing work. They should be studying Torah. How could anybody, they said, abandon eternal life for temporal life? And so they get so mad that they would look at things, and when they looked at something, it immediately burst into flames. Well, a voice came from heaven and said, did you come out to destroy my world? 
And as a result of that, the rabbis returned to the cave for another month. God put them back. And so uh, they, they came back out that first Friday afternoon. They come out, and, and now Rabbi Yar, Bo, Shimon Bar Yohai has, has calmed down by this point. He, he's, he said, okay, uh, that's, that's not okay. I, I'm going to have peace with the world. He said, you and I are enough for the world. Us studying Torah is enough. And then what happens is on their first Friday that they were out, so it's, we're talking about the, the day before, you know, the, the evening will become the Sabbath. They see an old guy walking along, and he's carrying two handfuls of myrtle. They asked him what the spices were for, and he said they're for the Sabbath. And they said, well, isn't one enough? And he said, no, one corresponds to Zahor, which is remember the Sabbath day, which is exactly what Exodus 20 verse 8 says, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He says the other one corresponds to Shamor, which is to observe the Sabbath day, which comes from Deuteronomy 5.12. So it's the, it's the repetition of the commandment, but, but it's, they say it's, the, it's positive in the negative side. So you're going to remember it and keep it holy, but you're also going to observe it. So you're going to you're going to keep the negative aspects and the positive aspects. You're going to remember it and keep it holy. You're going to observe it by doing no work. So those two things are there. And and so they he looked at his son and said, "See how beloved the commandments are to Israel." And then everything was fine. So you get these two men who judged the world. You get Rabbi Akiva's uh, students who judged each other, and then you get these guys who are judging Jews based on what they see. But they don't ask what, they're, what these people are actually doing or thinking, and so, so they come to conclusions based on what they think is right without listening to why these other people might do these things. They, they think the commandments don't matter, but then they see this guy, and they say, why are you carrying two bundles, and why are you in such a hurry? And he explains it to him, and it was like, you thought of something I've never thought of. It never occurred to me to think of that as two different ways to keep the Sabbath. And so you're doing it in two ways. So you actually are doing something that we've never thought of. And so instead of calling down fire from heaven on these Samaritans in, in the gospel lesson from Sunday, then Jesus turns and rebukes them because they're not loving their people. And so it fits, I think, with these stories of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yohai in such a way that it, that it makes these things poignant. And I just wanted to share a little bit of Jewish history and wanted to share a little bit of, of what we typically never hear about. Like I said, I never heard about any of this stuff in seminary. I never learned it anywhere else. It's just because God said to me, hey, John, I want you to understand what people were hearing and understanding and what they believed at that time, how they understood the scriptures and how they understood their place in the world around them. And so I just wanted to share these two stories, you know, as quickly as I possibly could today. But but I think they all fit in with that passage from Matthew 7 about judging and how do we judge one another and, and how do we deal with sin in our own lives. And, and it's tend to your own knitting. It doesn't mean, however, that, that we don't make value judgments about right and wrong. No, no, no. If somebody's a false teacher, then you're supposed to say that person's a false teacher. We need to be that careful and scrupulous about our own teaching, though, that we make sure that we aren't becoming false teachers in any way. But the, the, the thing is, is that, that we ought to love one another. And, and these two examples, I think, illustrate how it is that we can become better at loving one another.